I mean, that song just fits right with what I'm going to be preaching today, um, and I rejoice at that. I'm going to be preaching out of Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, be turning there. We're going to read the text in just a moment, but if you would turn there to uh, chapter 13. And Aaron, I think I'm going to go to the handheld if I can do that. Is that all right? And uh, this... I love this lapel mic, but sometimes it gets behind the tie and behind my coat, and uh, it's more distracting, so I don't want to be distracting to you. So I, I love the Word of God, and I love this passage that we're going to read together just in a moment uh, that reminds us about the power of the gospel. And we are here today, if you're saved, you are a, a recipient of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, my preaching is never intended to be... Uh, controversial. I never uh, try to pick fights theologically, I'm talking about. I never try to one-up anybody. I just preach as I understand what saith the word of the Lord. And um, there are thoughts about the elect and about who can be saved and all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, we come from a tradition that believes that the gospel message is for everybody and that when the Holy Ghost uh, deals with your heart, that is the time to answer the call and to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm a nobody. My dad worked in a factory making soap. My mom got a job. She was a housewife most of my growing up time, but then she got a job at a factory that uh, produced gunpowder during the Vietnam War, and uh, they called it the bag plant because they dumped it in bags and sold it up for artillery and that kind of thing, and and uh, was there a long time, so employed thousands of people. But I, my, my point is, I'm just a blue-collar boy. I just was raised by parents that worked in factories, lived in a full-room house with my, four, my three siblings, and uh, there's nothing about the name of Hobbes that would turn anybody's head. There was nothing about me that would cause anybody to look at me and say, boy, that boy is going to be something someday because I just, there was nothing special and still there's not anything special about me. All I am is a redeemed man. And the redemption that God has brought to my life has made everything turn out in my life the way that it has. And uh, I know for a fact, because I have lived it and am living it, that he is a Waymaker. He is a chain breaker. He's a sickness healing savior. Is everybody glad about that? You know, he fixes things and he puts lives together, and I'm, I'm a witness to that. But I am nobody special. What he did for me, he'll do for you. What he's done for the majority of people in this church, he will do for you because that is his plan and that is his will for our life. And I want to be uh, evangelistic-minded today, and, I, and I'm praying. I've prayed for you today, and I want you to look at uh, Matthew 13. And I'd like for you to stand with me, please, and we're going to read the Word together. Matthew chapter 13, find verse 47, please. It's only three verses. And Jesus said this. He said again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. 
which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You can be seated today. If you're not saved, if you are not sure of your salvation, then today is your day. You're here today by the divine plan of God. The Bible says that the steps of good people are ordained of God. He orders them. He establishes them. He puts us in places where we need to be when we need to be there. If you are not right with God, you need to be here today. You need to be here because you need to hear this message about the gospel. It's a very simple gospel message today that I want to do my best to present to you. Because Jesus in this text associated evangelism with fishing. He called his followers fishers of men in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1. Our understanding of fishing is very different from how Jesus, what Jesus was referring to when he taught about soul winning. Jesus was talking about a commercial business. He wasn't talking about sport fishing. Some of you all are avid sports fishermen. And I used to fish and used to fish a lot. And I like to fish like for most people, they, we bass fish. And I like to crappie fish. And uh, I just enjoyed that kind of fishing. And I quit fishing several years ago just for whatever reason. I'm going to need to pick something back up because I just need to do something. But anyway, I enjoy fishing. I like being out on the water. I like being out in the sun. And I enjoy it. But Jesus wasn't talking about a leisurely trip to the pond to throw out a minnow on a hook or your favorite lure to attract a bass. He was talking about a commercial job that was very, very difficult and very hard. He was talking about guys that stood in the hot sun and had their skin baked by the sun. Their skin, no doubt, was leathery and tough, and their hands were calloused and hard and it was backbreaking work. I mean, they would fish most of the time in the night, but they would fish in the day, of course, and they you know, was affected by the, the weather, and they would be out there uh, all hours of the day, be out there in storms, be out there in calm time, throwing that net, leaning over and throwing that net, letting it settle down, and the net had a rope on it, and they would pull the rope to the boat, hoping that as that net would come toward the boat, it would get into a school of fish and catch them in that net and pull them up. And if they were blessed enough for that to happen, uh, it was backbreaking to pull it up into the boat and dump it out. But you all know that if you fish with a net, that you're going to get whatever's in the way of the net. When uh, I was a boy, I went into a creek with some friends of mine, and we th uh, they had a seine. 
It's the only time in my life that I ever worked with a sane, and we were just having fun, and we just got out there and threw that sane across the creek, and we walked down the creek for a piece, pulling that sane. And whatever we pulled it up out of the water, I mean, it had all kind of stuff in it. Not just, there were little fish in it, there were rocks in it, there were crawdads in it. I mean, there was just whatever that sane decided, whatever's in the way of that sane, it picked it up. And so net fishing is like that. Net fishing has a design, but it's like that. It takes whatever it gets in its way. And Jesus said that's the gospel, that I'm not here today throwing out a minnow hoping to attract the wealthy. I'm not throwing out a lure to attract the white folk. I'm not throwing out my favorite bait in order to attract a bunch of middle-class folks like I was raised. I just want to preach, and I want the gospel to bring rich, poor, white, black, Indian, whoever, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want men and women to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want anybody under the sound of my voice that does not know him to know him. Because gospel preaching is about attracting lost people. And so I want to present something to you that is attractive, but I want to present something to you that has a dire warning if you ignore it. And I want you to hang with me just probably for about 15 or 20 minutes. That's not a promise. Jesus said in verse 47, that the gospel is likened to a net that is thrown out, and he said it gathers of every kind. So it is attractive to all. There are doctors and lawyers and surgeons that are Christian, and there are sanitation workers and street sweepers and gardeners that are Christians. It, it is attractive to all social classes of people. It is attractive to the educated, formerly educated, and to those that are not. It is attractive. I Years ago, I was here in Berea. Our family was here, and I was visiting a lady that was a member of our church, and she was old then, and it was years ago, years ago. And she was very faithful and loved us and loved our church. And But she was talking to me one day, and she said, she lived in, in the, the trailer park right next to the church, and she, uh, the old church. And she pointed over at our church and said, Brother Hobbs, she said, there are people in Berea that call our church the rich church. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, they call us the rich church. And, and uh, I knew we weren't rich folk. We're folks like you are now. You know, we're made up of the same kind of people that we are now. And you might be successful, but uh, I hope you're rich. I mean, I, I bless you, and I hope you are. But, but we're not known as wealthy people. But there were some folks that thought, just for whatever reason, that our church was filled with rich people. And so that becomes a barrier, right? That when somebody thinks, well, the church is only this, that becomes the barrier. There are people that think, well, I can't go to the Berea Church of God because the Berea Church of God is this, whatever barrier they might put up. Or the Berea Church of God does church like, or whatever it might be. But 
We have got to do all we can to tear down every barrier, remove every wall, and let people know everywhere all over Berea and Madison County that the gospel that we preach here is for everybody. Bring the poor, bring the weak, bring the sick, but bring the wealthy, bring the educated, bring the non, bring people that ain't got two nickels in their pocket, and bring people that got huge uh, bank accounts because the gospel is for everybody. If you're living in breathing. The gospel is for you. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you and your opportunity for him is right now this morning. Aren't you glad about that? The gospel is preached and it gathers of every kind. I like what Isaiah said. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 1, if you're thirsty, come and drink. He said, if you don't have any money, just come by and eat. He said, he was saying that it doesn't take, it doesn't take wealth, it doesn't take money, it doesn't take your ability, it doesn't take what you have. All it takes is for you to be hungry enough and thirsty enough to come. When I was lost, most of you know my story, I was 18 years old when I was saved. And my story, very briefly, is this, that I was raised in the church all my life. I was raised in the Church of God in Louisville, Kentucky, all my life. So I heard gospel preaching all my life. My mother was a gifted, I mean gifted teacher. And every Saturday night, she would sit at the kitchen table with a red crayon that's before markers, highlighters, She'd use a red crayon as she taught the lesson to my dad. Now, when I've gotten older, I've thought, what a dad I had. <laughs> to sit on Saturday nights and listen to his wife teach her lesson to him. And that's, they did that every Saturday night. And so I, when I was little, I was a part of that class too. So mom would teach her Sunday school lesson and use her highlighter, and dad would uh, help her uh, uh, break down some scripture. And that was, you, you talk about a wonderful raising. I had a wonderful raising. And my, that's the home I was raised in. And mom and dad did that. I wasn't saved until I was 18 years old. But I was raised in a home like that. And I was invited to a revival by my sister that was not at our home church we were raised in. And I had graduated high school early, not because I was smart, but because I was in trouble. And so I had to either get out on my own or they were going to send me out. And I had enough credits and I had all that I needed, even though my GPA was a stellar 1.5. Had a 1.5 GPA and was in trouble, but I had all my credits. And so I moved on and graduated as soon as I could. And quick, you know, and got out of school. Well, my life was a mess and it was a wreck, as an 18-year-old's could be, I guess. And my mom, my sister had visited a church that was not our home church. It was saved. And she said, oh, Steve, you got to come. You got to come. Oh, Steve, you got to come. We're in revival. Oh, Steve, you got to come. Oh, you got to come. It's got so many young people. Oh, Steve. And, and so I went. I was one of those that said, all right, I'll go to just get you off the back. And that probably that wasn't true, I'm sure. But I kind of acted like that. You know, wanted to be the tough guy. Don't need church, but if my sister wants, I'll go if you want me to go. Want to be that tough guy, like some of you want to be that tough person. And so I went and I listened to a gospel preacher. 
I listened to a Pentecostal gospel preacher, a Holy Ghost-filled gospel preacher that preached and preached. I can't tell you what he preached, but I know that when he got through preaching, he called the people to prayer. I found myself walking the aisle, kneeling in an altar, and giving my heart to Christ. From that day forward, my journey began. Like I said, my name meant nothing to anybody. I had nothing to offer, nothing to give. They didn't look at me and think, boy, we got us a good one here. They just had an 18-year-old kid. An 18-year-old kid whose life was anything but good. But I came to the waters because I was thirsty. I came to the restaurant even though I didn't have any money in my pocket. I was able to eat from the food that was served because of this wonderful word called grace. I was able to drink from a fountain that I could not afford to pay for the drink, but I drank anyway. And I was gloriously and wonderfully saved and my life changed that very moment. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? But see, I am not special. What he did for me, he'll do for you. Are you hungry? Come and eat. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. Are you weighed down like Jesus said, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I will give you rest. That's a picture of a burrow that's weighted down. Sometimes they put so much load on a burrow that it couldn't even stand up. The burrow would go to its knees. Couldn't even stand up. They'd beat it and pull on it and jerk it and cuss it, but it couldn't stand because the weight was too heavy. Some of y'all can't stand because your weight's too heavy. Now I'm standing here looking at you. You're not on your knees. You're not on your belly. You walked in the building. You look great. But if I only knew, if I only knew the weight you carry, if I only knew the load that was on your back, if I only knew how hard it was for you even to come today, to even get in your car and drive to this parking lot, Put your feet on the asphalt and walk through the door. But you're here. Are you hungry? The restaurant's open. Are you thirsty? Got plenty to drink. Won't cost you a dime because he understands the load you carry and he is here to lift it from you. I think so. this would be a great place for somebody to give the Lord a good praise offering right now. I love to quote Revelation twenty-two seventeen, where John wrote and said, The Spirit of the bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. Let him that is thirsty come. And whosoever will, come and drink the water of life freely. That was me. The Spirit, I'm not going to develop this. I'll just say the Spirit obviously is the Holy Spirit and the bride is the church. 
And here we see a picture of the Spirit of God calling people. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you to all truth. He will reprove the world of sin. That's a call of conviction. If you're sitting here today and you've already been pricked inside your spirit, or you have in the past, and you know you need to commit your life to the Savior, we call that conviction. And you know why that's happening? Because the Spirit of God is dealing with you. And you know why else that's happening? Because the Bridge Church of God has prayed for you. We may not know your name, but we've prayed for you. We've asked God to give us the city. We've asked God to save lost people within a 30-minute radius of this church. If you got here in less than a half an hour, you've been prayed for so much, you don't even know how much you've been prayed for. We've covered you in prayer so much. We've covered you in prayer, not even knowing your name or your address, but we've prayed for you because God has given us a burden for everybody that can be in this church in a half hour. If you can get in your car and drive in 30 minutes, be sitting in this chair, we've prayed for you. And I want to tell you, uh, we love you. We care about you. We care about your eternal destiny. God loves you too. And aren't you glad that you know that God loves you? And this altar is always open for your salvation. And we're believing God for you that you'll will not be lost and won't go to hell. We're believing God for you. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, whosoever will come and drink the water of life freely. It's an urgent call. We don't know how long we're going to be here. Our life can be taken from us in a second. Our Jesus could return at any moment. So it's an urgent call. Putting it off is dangerous. Jesus said, I've got to work. And got to, he didn't say got to. He said, I must. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because the night comes when no man can work. Whenever Jesus comes back and people realize what has happened, there will not be a room enough in the churches to seat the crowds. But it would be too late. There might be sermons preached. be too late. There might be praise and worship songs sung, music played, but it would be too late. Because night has fallen and work stops. We are living under this wonderful time of grace and mercy where God's grace and God's mercy is seen every day whenever you get to experience the sunrise, a new opportunity, a time to reset, a time to be able to get your life in order, another Sunday to hear another message that calls you to repentance and to put it off is dangerous. It's an urgent call, not only for the lost, but an urgent call for the church because Jesus told us that are saved to go out and to go to the highways and the hedges and that's the city and the country. Get out into the country. Get out into the city and compel them to come in. Compel people to come in. I'm not praising me by any stretch of the imagination. But I've contacted people that I know got aggravated with my contact. 
that would prefer never to hear from me. And I'm not doing it because I'm great. I'm doing it because I understand that we're living in a very dangerous time because the word compel literally means to drive them in, constrain them to come in, threaten them to come in. I want to close in, in a minute, and I got a line that I want to share with you. But I want to tell you, here's your threat. You die without Jesus. You die without Jesus. You have an eternity of suffering, pain, and torment. And you say, Brother Hobbs, you're trying to scare me. You better believe I'm trying to scare you. I sure am. I don't apologize for it either. You go tell anybody you want to tell, he was scaring me today. Tell everybody. Tell everybody you meet. Because this is true. This is real. It's where we live. It's going to happen. And if we don't get our life right, an eternity without God is awaiting us. It's urgent. And I'm compelling you with passion and compassion and great love to respond to the message of Christ. It's hard work. This is not a part of the text, but in Luke 5 and 5, the Bible says that they toiled. So commercial fishing is hard work and ministry is hard work. After they, you catch fish, you clean the fish. And... I guess it's a struggle for all churches, but particularly in Pentecost and holiness churches. We have this thing about wanting fish to be cleaned up even before they're caught. That we want them, you know, kind of like when I was in Western Kentucky, we fished strip mines. And we fished almost, we fished all the time. You could fish a different lake in Muhlenberg County alone every day of the year. It had over 365 lakes because of the strip mines, and so it was great fishing. <clears throat> so people would catch fish, bass and crappie and bluegill, and they would ask people, say, do you want some fish? And there was always people that would say, well, is it cleaned? <laughs> I'll take it if you clean it. And Truth be told, I'd said that probably about 100 times because I tried to clean fish, and I'm telling you, it's not a pretty sight. I never did get the hang of it. I'm not trying to be cute, but you know there are churches that are just like that. Oh, I'll take you as long as you're cleaned up. Yeah, get your life cleaned up, then come join us. I know pastors that won't say a word to sinners. And I'm telling you the truth. They won't say a word to lost people. But once a lost person gets saved, oh, well, you need to come and check my church out. Well, we got a wonderful church. Ain't that wonderful? If it's that wonderful, they'd be talking to them when they were in sin. We have got to get to a place where we are willing to put up with a person that sits by us that smells like urine, that smells like weed, that's got the smell of a Saturday night drink on their breath, 
or a Sunday morning drink on their breath, and they come in haggard, scattered, beaten, and abused. We have to be willing in this day and age we live in now to be ready to whoever walks in the door, no matter how they're dressed, what they believe, how crazy messed up their life might be. It's not our job to, cl to clean them. That is God's job. Our job is to catch them. Is, is anybody listening to what I'm saying today? Our job is to catch them. God cleans them. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says, you know, when, when uh, or 11, I should say, when Simon Peter was defending ministering to the Gentiles, he told some Jews, he said, God gave them the like gift as he did to us at the beginning, and who was, uh, when we believed, who was I that I could stand God? When God brings them in, who are we that we can withstand God? When God decides he wants to save somebody, he's going to save who he wants to. He'll save on whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And I just want to say this. I know we're talking about clean. I got, I'm going to jump to the end, but, but we're talking about, I'm talking about cleaning fish. But I just want to tell you real quick that you can be blood washed and saved and your thinking can still be all messed up. And you can bring a lot of baggage with you into the house of the Lord. You sure can. You can bring a sordid past into the house of the Lord. But God, it is his job to fix all that. It's just our job to catch you. It's our job to throw the net because it gathers of every kind. It's our job to throw it again. Well, this Sunday nobody responded. Well, throw it again. Sing it again. Teach it again. Do it all over next week. Keep throwing that net because guarantee one thing. If you don't throw the net, you won't catch nothing. But when you throw the net, you're going to catch something eventually. And keep throwing that net. Bring them in of every kind. Bring in, bring in the people that are bound by sin and bound by the spirit of the age. Bring them in because that's what the gospel message does. God cleans people's up. By the blood of Jesus, Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Revelation 1, 5. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He cleans us by the word of God. That's why the word has got to be preached. Because the word is cleansing. The Bible said in Ephesians 5, he sanctifies and cleans the church by the washing of water by the word. Romans 1, I mean 11, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Paul said he would not have known what sin was if it were not for the law or for the word. How do you know what God expects out of your life if you never hear the word? You say, well, I'm not going to go to church because I'm lost. Then you need to come and hear the word. Listen to the word. 
the word sanctifies and cleanses and points out our sin and tells us what we got to repent of and, and get away from and let God cleanse us from. I'm telling you, the word of God has got to be the paramount center of everything we do because without the preaching of the word, there can never be any conviction and never be any washing. Come on now, somebody help me praise if we got to preach the word. Can I just preach? It's never something to celebrate when the preacher don't get to preach. Now, sometimes that happens, and I'm all about that. You know I am. But a guy that used to come here that had struggled with Pentecost, came a long time but struggled with us, nice guy. And one thing he complimented me and said, I've noticed about you. He said, whenever things get, he did something like that. He said, you always preach. It may not be my prepared sermon. It may not be, turn with me, in your, it may not be that kind of preaching, but I always preach. Because the preaching of the word has got to be the center of all that we do. Are you with me? We get so turned on to what we call worship. It makes me sick. I didn't just say that, did I? Dinah, if you were sitting on the front row, I'd have you smack my hand. That came out before I thought about it. It does bother me when people love the singing but reject the preached word. That bugs me to no end. Bugs me to no end. And somebody sashay in here one Sunday. I'm getting to feeling this now. <laughs> Sashayed in one Sunday in the front row and sat through the song service, not sat, but worshiped there in the song service and fell on their knees and worshiped and worshiped and worshiped and worshiped and worshiped and worshiped. And then when the song service was over, they hit the door. I don't care if they come to hear me preach, I ain't about hearing me preach. But if we don't see how the preached word of God is central to what we do, then we've missed all of this. It's not about a spirited song service. It's about an anointed preached gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the word of God cleanses us. The word of God sanctifies us. The Holy Ghost. Delana, can we get Malachi 3 verses 2 on the, on the screen, please? Malachi 3, verse 2, we're going to read through verse 4. I'm not going to develop and preach this, but I do want us to read it. Then we're going to close this out. Malachi prophesied and said, But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify of silver and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Next verse. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Here Malachi allowed us to see that in the days of the coming of the Lord, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will purify the believer and the worshiper and the leader so that our offerings are acceptable to God. So we need 
that visitation of the Spirit of God that burns the impurities out of our life. And how does the Spirit of God come? Well, we'll get into that and preach that one day in depth. But he comes in obedience to Jesus' promise and he comes at the preached word of God and he comes because people pray and seek his face and he comes. And I close with this. Tom, will you come, please? There will come a time as I close this morning, that this will end. This window of grace and window of opportunity will end. I don't know when that will be. I don't know when your time will be. It could be today. I don't know. But Jesus said in verse 49 of the text, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever. You get that word? That's cut. That's aggressive. That's painful. Sever the unrighteous from the righteous. Now we can be together. There's coming a day when that will end. There's coming a day when God is going to say, okay, that's it. He's going to turn to Jesus, however that's going to work, and he's going to turn to Jesus. He's going to say, son, now's the time. It's all ready. I mean, all things are prepared. Jesus said it's prepared. The supper's prepared. Just waiting. It's like you get ready for Thanksgiving dinner. Now you just, you got it done and now you're just sitting and waiting for the family to get there. And that's what it's like in heaven right now. It's all done. Jesus said it's ready. He's just waiting now for the doorbell to ring. Just waiting for the grands to walk in the door. Just waiting for all that to happen. Because one day the father's going to look at the son and say, it's time. The angel already has the shofar ready. And Jesus is going to say, it's time. And they're going to step out of glory. And they're going to descend from glory on clouds. And Jesus is going to give the nod. And the angel is going to blow the shofar. He's going to sound the trumpet. And when he sounds the trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to hear it. And they're going to start moving again. And the ground's going to shake again. And it's going to open up again. And they're going to come out, hallelujah to God. And then if we are still here alive and remain, we're going to go up with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hey, Berea Church of God, it's just about here. It's just about here. It's happening. It's coming. He's going to sever us from those that are deceived according to Matthew 7, 22, 23. He's going to come and sever us from the unprepared 
according to Matthew 25, 11, 12. He's going to just uh, sever us from the goats, according to Matthew 25 and 33. From the tares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, he's going to separate us from them all because it's a narrow way. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Brother Hobbs, you're trying to scare me. I told you I was. I admit that. But let me ask you a question before we, I call you to prayer. If you went exploring Pikes Peak, I've never been there, so I'm just making this up. If you went to Pikes Peak and there was a sign there that said danger, warned you of a cliff that if you fell you would fall to your death would you call the park service mean if you're driving down a road and there's a sign that says danger or dangerous curve slow down cut your speed down would you call the government say they're trying to scare you they're warning you I'm just warning you. My job is to throw the net. I've thrown it. Now, my hope is the net gathers some, something today. That's my hope. And I hope that somebody says yes to Jesus today. I came here today knowing that this was going to be different style that I preach and all that kind of thing. But I said to myself, I said, man, I got to be really evangelistic today. I prayed, scanning the crowd. There are actually people here that I've prayed specifically for this week. That makes me happy. That I prayed specifically this morning for some people that are, some of you that are sitting in your chair today, I prayed specifically for you. And I said, Lord, let them be there Sunday. Please let them come. And you're here. <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah. You're here. And I've thrown the net. And now, I pray it gather of every kind. Male, female, middle class, poor, wealthy, white, black. I don't care. I've just thrown the net. And now I'm believing God for you. believing God for you. I want to do this different. Now. And if you respond, wonderful, and we'll rejoice with you. If you don't, we'll go home. But I want to do this. In just a moment, I want to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, if you know that you're not saved or if you're unsure about your salvation, I want you just to, as soon as you stand up, to walk up here with me. I don't want you to wait. I want you to walk up here with me because I've thrown the net. Let God do what only God can do for you. I can't do it, but God can. If you know you're lost or if you're not sure of your salvation, when we stand, I want you to walk up here and high-step it because this is urgent. Will you stand with me, please?